and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and this week I am joined by two guests, Chet and Kevin. Guys, what side are you on? I'm on Team Chet. I am also on Team Chet, which happens to be the team that Captain America is on. I changed my mind. I don't want to be on his team anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, this week we are we're delving deep into the story about one superhero that stands for truth, justice, and the American way, and his battle against a man in a metal suit. But we're going to be talking about the good one, the much-anticipated release of Captain America Civil War. And uh, we're going to break down the original 2006 Marvel Comics miniseries that the movie is somewhat based on, as well as the trailers for the upcoming film. And so, as we kind of break down this original comic book story, we'll speculate how close the Marvel Cinematic Universe will mirror what actually was on the printed page 10 years ago, and what might be different. So, I'll start by asking you guys, did you read this when uh, these comics came out? Uh, Not when it initially came out. I kind of read, uh, maybe, like, I think I might have read, like, the first one a little after it came out, um, and then never actually read the full thing uh, front to back uh, until probably about a year ago, maybe. And for me, yeah, this this was the storyline that got me into comics in the first place. I had heard about it for a few years, and people were talking about how this was kind of gearing towards it, and then uh, when they finally came out with it, I started reading bits and pieces of it. And ended up collecting the entire thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got into the storyline pretty late, too, like Kevin. I I didn't get it when it came out, but then uh, when Borders Books was closing and I was going in there on a regular basis, coming out with uh, discount books, the uh, the hardcover collection was there, and uh, so I scooped it up. And, uh, yeah, it was great. I, I really enjoyed this story. Yeah, it, it was nice that, you know, you could actually read these through, uh, like, volumes one through seven without you know, having to necessarily read all the other tie-ins that go with it, because there's an absolutely ridiculous (laughs) number of of other issues that kind of, you know, were also Civil War issues. Yeah. You mean you didn't read uh, Civil War Howard the Duck? No, no, I must have missed that one. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did you read those those tie-ins too, Chet? Yeah. not the Howard the Duck one. That doesn't actually exist. To the no, best no, of my but, uh, but but the X Men uh, ones. Yes, yes. Um, there there are there are quite a bit. I have them most all of them in, in graphic novel form and a few single shot comics. But yeah, I, I, I spent a couple years hunting them down, and the last one was the the She Hulk single shot, and I found that on eBay. Wow. <laughs> so you really have the full run. Yeah, I don't know that I'm necessarily proud of that, <laughs> but uh, once I got started, I didn't really know where to stop, and uh, I kept finding more and more. I will say that while most of those just seem to be um, more of a money grab, some of them are incredibly insightful and relevant to uh, to the main storyline. Now, for those that don't know, Civil War was the Marvel Comics miniseries that was published over seven issues from July 2006 to January 2007. It actually had a couple of delays in between. Uh, It was written by Mark Millar and penciled by Steve McNiven. And uh, as Kevin mentioned, it just crossed over with a ton of other Marvel titles and uh, succeeded by various spin-off stories uh, that continued the story further. And now, I believe, is this June we're going to get Civil War II? Yep, that is correct. Because they got to bring it back around the time the movie's coming out. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I'm really glad I knew about it instead of just finding out midway because I might have panicked and just started collecting rapidly again. <laughs> <laughs> there was also the uh, ultimate Al- one of the Ultimate Alliance video games. I can't remember if it's one or two. Did you guys ever play that? Uh, that was kind of the over-the-top, like, uh, gauntlet-type-looking game. Yeah, I played the first one, but I've heard that the that Civil War tied into it, but it must have been the second one, because I don't remember that being in the first one. Okay, so it must have been the second one. Yeah, my, uh, my friends and I played that, and it was very interesting. It brought you almost beat by beat. They bring you, well, not to get into the storyline just yet, but they bring you right up to the table where they ask you to sign... You know, sign your name to register, and you can choose to uh, accept, or you can choose to refuse. And if you refuse, you uh, you start fighting right in that room. Huh. Wow! And what did you choose? Oh, you got to fight. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. And we, I think my friends and I went through it because we, you know, you could play on Xbox Live. So I believe we went through the game twice. We, you know, we tr- we went back and did the things that we chose differently, and uh, just to see what exactly would happen. I, I think they both ended up in a fight somehow, depending on what you chose to do. And, and of course, you pick your own team, so you could have Captain America and Iron Man on the same team. So you know, it's not exactly the same. <laughs> wow. All right, so so why don't we get right into this uh, breaking down these issues? So so we'll start with issue number one of this mini series. We begin with the new warriors and a camera crew filming them for their reality show as they're poised to attack four villains. Uh, This is actually Cobalt Man, who is like an old X-Men villain, uh, Nitro, Coldheart, and Speed Freak in a home in Stamford, Connecticut. And even though the new warriors are overmatched, they're determined to strike because, you know, it'll be good for their show. And in the middle of the fight, one of the villains, Nitro, explodes and he just takes out Basically, like an entire block, including a park where children are playing. Trying like, it actually, I think uh, school, right? Right at right next to a school, and uh, he gets pushed into a school bus, and uh, he basically says to them, "You're dealing with villains you're not ready for," and that's when the explosion happens, and there's 900 people killed, mostly kids. And so after the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, others, they arrive on the scene, Captain America is just disgusted with the unnecessary loss of life, while Iron Man wonders why the New Warriors didn't call the Avengers. Because, you know, like you said, they they weren't ready for a, a, a fight like this, you know? So now, speculation begins that after this incident, the government's attention will be turned to superheroes of all kinds, because as we've seen in the comics up to this point, really, that... that scrutiny had been directed mainly towards mutants yeah and, and this is the uh the scene with uh, goliath that says that right yeah i believe so yeah. yeah he basically says yeah it's the straw that broke the camel's back and it's basically going to be a witch hunt where you know they're going to be after everybody yeah and this was preceded by a couple huge storylines that sort of led to this similar to i'm sure what we'll talk about with the movies that have led to this but uh, house of m and uh, avengers disassemble and Hulk destroying Las Vegas. Uh, these are all things that led to the government trusting less and less the the heroes, and especially in light of things that had gone down with the mutants. Yeah, and, and you even uh, in this you get a shot of like sentinels basically watching over the cleanup, you know, taking place. Mm. And you know, obviously that doesn't go over too well with with Wolverine. No. <laughs> and uh, like you said, you know, it's a straw that broke the camel's back, this one incident. And this will, you know, be known as the, the Stanford incident. This is, uh, you know, just this, this one big thing that sets everything into motion. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, there's like 
a really good scene in the movie that kind of sets up something like this. I mean, obviously they can't do new warriors, uh, you know, coming in with all that, because uh, it would just take way too long to kind of set up that whole scenario and, and you know, do it properly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think probably they're just going to say, oh, remember all those other events from the other movies and kind of that's why this is happening. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Uh, you know, they really don't need to blow up a, a school or a city block at this point because we've already seen, and I think they even brought that out in the trailers, you know, New York and Sokovia and all these other places that have experienced a huge amount of destruction in the past couple of movies. Uh, in fact, that, that which, what they call the New York Incident, the Battle of New York, I mean, that they mentioned that quite a bit in Daredevil and uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, I mean, you could just go on that alone and build the movie from there, uh, taking the place of that Stanford incident. But, uh, they're probably going to, like you said, bring out all the other incidents as well. So we'll see exactly how they make that all tie in. So we do, uh, at this point, we see a real quick, uh, Larry King cameo where he's talking with, uh, with <laughs> She-Hulk, which is, I'm hoping, you know, it would be cool if they pull that over into the movie, you know, it, even though we haven't, I don't know, would She-Hulk, uh, fall under Universal? Yeah, she would be a Disney property at this point. I believe she's tied to the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, but I know they can't do a standalone for the Hulk, but he's allowed to be in, you know, other movies. So, yeah, I, I mean, maybe they could. arguing over She-Hulk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It would be kind of fun if, if they had, you know, just like a quick, you know, cameo with Larry King and, you know, She-Hulk and just for fun. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the background or something on TV. Yeah, exactly. You know, because... You're allowed to have fun when you make movies like this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Zack Snyder that. Okay. <laughs> so uh, from there, we go to the the funeral of the the children. Uh, one of the grieving mothers, I believe this is Mrs. Sharp, is her name? And uh, she spits in Tony Stark's face and tells him that the blood of her son Damien is on his hands. Right, and, and this sort of becomes a tagline for all those who are, you know, protesting superheroes and everything they've been doing. There's, you see signs throughout the rest of the, the, the story, um, people saying justice for Damien or, you know, Damien with a heart around the name. Uh, and he it sort of becomes this, um, this model or, or symbol, if you will, of the people's distrust for superheroes. Yeah, and the, the funeral scene, you know, it's, was really, really important, you know, to this whole storyline. So I'm, I'm really hoping they do, you know, something kind of like that you know, for this, you know, for the movie. Yeah, it might be a dedication of a memorial, you know, or something to that effect. Yeah. Something that brings back in the public consciousness something that maybe these superheroes are a little more dangerous than uh, originally thought. So, yeah, soon after this, the other superheroes are also starting to feel this backlash, including Human Torch, who's being attacked at a nightclub. Uh, very quickly, the public is turning against these heroes that they loved not too long ago. Yeah, absolutely. And that scene is pretty important because uh, he is just trying to be around normal people and not be his superhero self. Uh, he's never shied away from the limelight at all. And so people immediately recognize him and come up to him and start making threats and uh, kind of associate him now with the tragedy mm. and everything that has led up to it. And it just shows that someone who has yet to be connected with most of the things that have led up to this is someone that the public is still associating with uh, just in terms of how they view superheroes in general. 
And of course, Human Torch didn't handle it the best way either, saying, you know, well, why don't you defeat Galactus and we'll talk, or something to that effect. <laughs> Such a hothead. <laughs> How great would it be if Chris Evans played both roles in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> Now, after a national superhero registration bill is proposed, a meeting of various superheroes is called at the Baxter Building, the Fantastic Four headquarters, where they debate whether or not to oppose it. And we see Iron Man, the Fantastic Four, and She-Hulk are in favor of the legislation, while ones like Doctor Strange, Wolverine, and Daredevil are strongly against it. Yeah, and this is the beginning of the conflict, and I think this is when Spider-Man enters into everything. He comes in wearing a suit that Tony Stark has made for him, and you start to question if Tony Stark had ulterior motives there. Mm. Um, but he tries to, to sway the crowd, if you will, and doesn't really do anything except add fuel to the fire. Yeah, that's the uh, the Iron Spider suit. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and 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 here we have a, a watcher in the background, you know, just kind of checking things out and keeping an eye on things. <laughs> Never a good sign when that guy no, shows no. up to see what's going on. So, uh, meanwhile, Captain America is on a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier with Commander Maria Hill, and uh, Captain America tells her that this issue will split all of the superheroes down the middle, and a war will result from it. But he also mentions that he won't be arresting any unregistered heroes that are just trying to do what's right. And now, at this point, Maria Hill sicks some S.H.I.E.L.D. soldiers on him to subdue him, but after a fight, he's able to escape. So we can definitely see parallels to uh, Captain America's situation in the movies, uh, with uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. coming after him in, in the, the last movie, The Winter Soldier, and we can see that he's kind of a, a vigilante or a rogue hero at, at the point we last left off. So in Washington, D.C., the president is unhappy that Captain America is really now the symbolic leader of those that are rebelling against this Superhero Registration Act, and Iron Man is there to tell the president to continue with the legislation as they planned, and he and those loyal to the government will deal with Captain America. You wonder here if, if Tony Stark is definitely thinking there actually will be a conflict, or if that just seems so unlikely to him that if he just continues doing what he's doing, the rest of them will fall suit. Yeah, it seems that at a couple of points here, uh, they'll, they'll try to at least uh, pretend to talk it out, even though it doesn't really come to it. So that's the end of issue number one. So in issue number two, we open with the Vulture and the Grim Reaper found beaten and chained. And now there's been 15 supervillains found like this under 72 hours, meaning that Captain America isn't the only hero that has gone rogue here. Yeah, it definitely, you know, shows that he's not working alone either. You know, he's got a whole team behind him helping with this. But there's many, however, that are embracing their role as registered heroes. And we see Iron Man, She-Hulk, Mr. Fantastic, and there's some others. They're saving a crowd of cheering New Yorkers from a Doombot. But uh, even She-Hulk is kind of having, uh, not necessarily second thoughts about the whole idea, but she's wondering if they're nothing more than just, you know, glorified government agents or glorified S.H.I.E.L.D. agents at this point. And uh, we next cut to uh, another subplot of this story. Is back at the Baxter building. We see the beginnings of a rift forming between Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, and Sue Storm, the Invisible Woman. Reed is very much on Tony Stark's side. He's, he's pleased with his plans. But Sue doesn't think that these uncooperative heroes, some of which are, you know, they consider good friends, uh, she doesn't believe they should be jailed. Doesn't she make some comment about, like, this will essentially cut their Christmas card list in half or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> 
which we're all desperately trying to. Yep. <laughs> now, also in this scene, Sue notices a disc, and it's labeled 42. And she asks Reed about it, but he said it's classified. So this will kind of pop up throughout the storyline is this this mysterious 42, what this actually means. It's the Hitchhiker's Guide audiobook. <laughs> Everyone was ready to retire Jackie Robinson's number. <laughs> I was thinking of that too, yeah. This is the DVD of the movie. Reed isn't the only one happy about the new Superhero Registration Act. We see, of course, J. Jonah Jameson is applauding the legislation. And uh, you know if that guy's on your side, you're probably not on the right side. <laughs> and uh, at night, even Tony Stark hopes that he's doing the right thing. Uh, and we see the next midnight in Times Square, and the it's this is the time that the act becomes official. The next day, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents go right to work. They're detaining rebel heroes in a van, including the Young Avengers. But unbeknownst to them, Captain America is driving the van undercover. Captain America asks the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent next to him about what 42 is, and the man realizes that because he's asking, there's something up, and uh, <laughs> Captain America punches him out of the uh, the side van door. <laughs> but uh, before S.H.I.E.L.D. can move in on the situation, the whole van is teleported away to a secret S.H.I.E.L.D. safe house. Uh, they, they have Nick Fury's blessing, I believe, to use this safe house. And uh, this is where the Young Avengers are met with uh, heroes like Daredevil, Cable, Hercules, Power Man, or Luke Cage, and Goliath. And uh, Nick Fury is also working on getting them all fake identities as well. From here, we next cut to, this is a, a very big moment in the storyline, we cut to a press conference where Tony Stark introduces, you know, Mrs. Sharp, who we had seen earlier from the uh, children's funeral, and Spider-Man. And here Spider-Man tells everyone that it's time for superheroes to do the right thing. He removes his mask and reveals himself as Peter Parker. Yeah, and this is definitely one of those things I don't think they're going to bring over to the movie. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, while he's talking about why he's, you know, revealing his identity, he talks about how, you know, like he's married and, you know, things like that. And mm -hmm. in the movie, I believe he's a teenager. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree, Kevin. I don't think you're going to see that in the movie. But I think the role that Spider-Man plays in the story and is going to be the same role that he plays in the movie. What I mean by that is, in the story, he kind of represents the audience. He's torn between both sides. One day he thinks that she should be with Captain America. The next day he thinks she should be with Iron, Iron Man. Uh, and eventually he does switch sides. And in the movie, I think we're going to have that same tension in that character. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I think that's the right way to go, too. I think that, along with a lot of things, there's going to be themes from the story that we won't see, per se, in the same characters in the movie, but the themes will be the same. The tension of Spider-Man that, that is, you know, the audience is feeling the whole time. Um, obviously, other things that will come about later when we talk about War Machine's death and things like that. Yeah, I, I think the main players in the, the comics will, will have similar arcs in the movies. You know, obviously, we're not going to see Cable and Wolverine do anything in the Civil War movie. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're definitely going to be similar things, like you said, Spider-Man kind of being torn between the two sides. And uh, Iron Man and Captain America being firmly fixed on those two opposing sides as well. Now, the, the scene with Peter Parker revealing himself to be Spider-Man... Uh, that obviously, it's going to be hard to put that in the movie, and it really doesn't belong in this movie, uh, because didn't they have to change reality or something to reset that? I didn't read any further in the, the storyline, but Chet, do you know what ended up happening with that? 
Yeah, so one of the whole things, there's there's this amazing Spider-Man Civil War and then a Peter Parker Civil War. And the Peter Parker Civil War is actually probably more interesting because that's what it deals with. It deals with the actual personal struggle, the everyday life that Peter Parker had as he was kind of going through these decisions. And when he made the decision to reveal his identity, he knew that he was putting his family in potential jeopardy. And what happens is Kingpin from within prison uh, organizes this uh, this group of, of villains to go attack Peter Parker's family. And uh, in an attempt to kill Mary Jane, who's his wife at this point, they actually kill Aunt May. Oh, wow. And so when Civil War concludes, uh, Peter Parker's storyline continues, and he makes a deal with this uh, this demon who can alter reality. And the deal is that Aunt May can come back to life, but Peter can no longer be married to MJ. And both he and MJ agree to do it, and afterwards, it, you know, the deal goes through. And MJ and Peter Parker have no memory of ever being together. So we're kind of back to square one with their first meeting each other. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's quite the reset button. Yeah, the story's called One More Day. It wasn't really received very well, but, uh, I mean, I have it, and I think I was just looking for something to add to the collection that I had just added. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and one one more thing about the, the Peter Parker here is I, I hope we don't get another origin story. And I'm I'm glad that he's making his appearance within the Captain America you know sequel here. So obviously we're not going to get a fully flushed out story of you know Uncle Ben and all this stuff and getting bitten by the spider. I, I wouldn't mind if they just kind of show us a, a couple of quick scenes to get us to that point where he's there. But uh, yeah, we, we've seen. Just like Batman, we've seen that origin story way too many times. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So we next go to issue three, and just after Spider-Man's big reveal, uh, I think, oh, I forgot to mention too, I think J. Jonah Jameson is like freaking out seeing this hell happen on TV, which is pretty funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but now Iron Man and Mr. Fantastic go on the warpath. They're trying to recruit heroes to the registration side. Uh, we see Black Panther and Doctor Strange refuse Reed's invitations. Uh, that might be a little different in the movie as we see Black Panther show up on the same side as Iron Man, but we'll, we'll exactly have to see how that works out there. Uh, Tony also talks to Emma Frost about the matter, but she informs him that the X-Men will stay neutral. sort of goes to the, uh, the characters that they intentionally kept out of the conflict. And most of the X-Men are just in a, uh, a safe zone right after House of M. Mm. And 90% of them have been wiped out. Now, Captain America and the non-registration heroes get an emergency call regarding a fire at a petrochemical plant. And they rush to the scene. Just before that, uh, we hear the first mention of the 50-state initiative. Yes, and we'll, we'll hear a lot more about that as we go along. Now, when they arrive at this, this plant fire, uh, Cable notices that the plant is affiliated with Stark Industries, and, much like Admiral Akbar, realizes it's a trap. <laughs> but just then, Iron Man and his team of heroes arrive as well. And at this point, he offers Cap one last chance at amnesty, and they actually shake hands. So here we think, you know, okay, well maybe these two guys aren't full-fledged enemies just yet maybe they still can kind of talk things through but yeah. no <laughs> no <laughs> no uh, it turns out you know cap put something on tony's hand and shorts out his armor yes and from this point now the two sides are fighting and uh, iron man finally does get his suit running again and the two of them square off 
Yeah, and this kind of seems like this might be something that we've seen in the trailer with the two of them kind of going at it. Yeah, this is definitely the main focus of this movie, as well as this comic book storyline. It is these two former friends, you know, being forced to to fight because of their differing ideologies. Now, as these two sides are fighting, we see that Hercules is there fighting his way over to help Captain America, and he's just so effective in doing so that Commander Hill calls for codename Lightning. Doesn't take a, you know, rocket scientist to figure out who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Or is yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and there's a giant bolt of lightning that strikes, and uh, I believe it, you know, takes some people out, like blows them back, and we see the return of Thor. Like you said, so we think. In this fight scene, we also see, you know, Spider-Man has a cloaking ability with his iron spider suit, which I I know, I think they've said that we'll see two different uh, Spider-Man costumes in the movie, but I don't necessarily think we're going to see the iron spider suit so i i don't know as we're going to see you know a cloaking scene but if we did you know it'd be kind of cool one of the big things from the the iron spider suit is when in the comics he catches Cap's shield yeah you know like how bucky did in the in the winter soldier movie yeah and we kind of saw that a little bit in the trailer when he he takes shield cap shield out of his hand but i think that's the closest we're going to get to it yeah, I, I I hope we don't see the Iron Spider suit. I think it'd be a little too much all at once. Yeah. I'm really afraid of that Spider-Man 3 effect. <laughs> where they're trying to get cram as many heroes as possible. And it just uh, makes for a, a, a lesser quality movie. Maybe we can see Bruce Wayne open an email and see uh, Spider-Man in the Iron Spider suit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait till Infinity War before we really start cramming a million people in there so haven't oh, they said man. there's gonna be like 50 something people in it or something yeah i mean that that's another <laughs> legitimate fear of mine is that infinity war is just gonna be because you're building so much to this i mean we're gonna see the guardians of the uh, presumably you know and i don't know who's gonna get killed between now and then they might have to start uh you know paring down some of these teams but we're gonna be seeing the avengers and the guardians of the galaxy and you know, the Defenders are, are supposedly in this universe, too. So, you know, we, them and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I mean, how many people are we going to see all at once? It just, uh, it might be too many. I'm just really wondering how they're going to handle that problem. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'll still buy the Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> in this fight at the petrochemical plant, this is also a, a level in the Ultimate Alliance 2 video game. It's very funny how you go through all the motions of the storyline and... Yeah, this is a, a very big part of the, the video game as well. So we move on to issue number four, and we continue with that fight at the petrochemical plant, where the anti-registration heroes are shocked to see that Thor is back. Now Goliath, he steps up and he tries to fight Thor, but this is a very shocking moment here. Thor fires a bolt of lightning straight through Goliath's chest, killing him instantly. And as this is happening, they begin to notice that Thor's more aggressive, and they're they're thinking something's wrong, something's off. And yeah. then, of course, this happens, and everyone just sort of drops what they're doing from both sides of the conflict. Yeah, and, and right before this happens, uh, I believe uh, Tony knocks everybody out with some sort of like audio frequency that shuts down the human brain, and that's when Goliath comes out because he's you know not human. So he comes flying out, and then Thor just wipes him out. Yeah, quite shocking. 
Now, before this, see, I haven't been, I haven't read much of the comics before this storyline. Now, where was Thor at this time? Thor was presumed dead. There was this huge, I didn't read this, but uh, there's this huge thing going on in Asgard. Um, and uh, at the end of it, Thor was, was missing and presumed dead. So that added to the shock of just seeing this guy all of a sudden, presumably back from the dead. And not only that, he's a ruthless killer now. Yeah, and on that note, the reason that they kept Thor out of Civil War and Hulk, actually, is because they felt like either one of them would tip the scale too far in the one direction by fighting for one side or the other. And that's, that's exactly how the, uh, the film writers have, have approached this. They keep Thor and Hulk out of Civil War because they feel like the fight would be over too soon. Hmm. Now, uh, Thor, after he kills Goliath here, uh, he's not done. He's about to strike the rest of the anti-registration heroes as well. But they are protected by a Sue Storm force field. And then they're able to flee, you know, with her giving them that protection. And Reed, Reed Richards, calls off Thor. He gives some uh, verbal command. And Sue tells him that, you know, she doesn't want to talk to him at this point. Now we next cut to Avengers headquarters where Hank Pym is very conflicted about his role in the conflict. And this is where we learn that Thor has not really returned he was just a clone that was engineered from skin and hair samples that Tony Stark had been holding on to. He's quite the collector. <laughs> and Spider-Man 2 here is kind of having second thoughts. Yeah, Spider-Man basically, you know, he's saying, I, I thought you knew what you were doing, Tony. And, uh, you know, we're doing this so nobody else gets hurt. Um, and at that point, you know, you see there's a watcher. So you know that, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Something's going on, you know, something important. (laughs) So, you know, like, make note of this scene. (laughs) And obviously we're not going to see Goliath in the movie. I mean, unless we're going to introduce a character and kill him in eight seconds. But um, the the same theme of of someone dying we could definitely see. And the trailer seems to indicate that it might be War Machine, which is interesting because he's on Iron Man's side, whereas in the comics Goliath was on Captain America's side. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I had that written down too. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, they write this death and how it changes things going forward from that point. Meanwhile, Captain America and his team, they're n- nursing their wounds, and two of the young Avengers decide to leave. Uh, they refuse to fight their fellow superheroes after seeing what just transpired. So we next cut to Goliath's funeral, uh, which they must have had a huge casket. Uh, <laughs> 39 <laughs> plots or something like that, they said. <laughs> Tony Stark is also now, you know, feeling a little conflicted and definitely saddened. You know, this is not what he intended. Uh, He's approached by Mrs. Sharp, who we had met before, who tells him that he's doing the right thing. And she even hands him her son's favorite toy, which is an Iron Man action figure. So just to remind him that, uh, you know, he's he's doing the right thing. And and just like uh, police that die in the line of duty, this is all you know, out of his hands at this point, and he's just, uh, he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. Reed Richards is there, also at the funeral, and he looks over at Peter Parker, and he notices that he's acting a little suspicious. And speaking of Reed Richards, Sue Storm informs him that she is leaving with the kids, and she and Human Torch are now siding with Captain America and the anti-registration heroes. So this is all kind of, you know, things that we saw coming. We figured Sue would be switching sides. Spider-Man is also kind of on the fence at this point. Yeah, and the uh, the note that she leaves for Reed, it's just, 
I don't know. I, I found it kind of funny just because she's going through and kind of explaining things very like scientifically, you know, okay, this is why I did this. This is why we had dinner. This is why we had wine. This is why we had some alone time <laughs> to uh, boost our immune system. <laughs> <laughs> well, she knows how to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then you see as she's, you know, as she's leaving, uh, Ben Grimm's, you know, looking out the window and, you know, obviously he's upset that, She's taken off. Hmm. Now, realizing that Goliath's death has swayed many heroes against registration now, Tony and Reed decide to release the new Thunderbolts. And this is a group consisting of people like Venom, Lady Deathstrike, Bullseye, Jack-O-Lantern, Taskmaster, and the Jester. So now, (laughs) this isn't just heroes now. We've got some villains in the mix as well. This is when it gets really interesting. you get these great lines where you have... Villains who now register and are now no longer villains, technically, who are hunting down heroes who are not registered, who are now villains. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, they mentioned they're all going to be, you know, chipped, tagged, and monitored by nanobots, you know, which I feel like I've heard about another movie that's doing something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting twist is the you know the dynamic flipping where these these villains are are, they're still villains at heart as we'll see uh they're they're just relishing this opportunity to to kill heroes and to do it legally yeah and uh, honestly i would love to see them bring taskmaster into the cinematic universe i think that would be a really fun like villain to have along you know for like a movie or two here or there Mm. just you know because he's i don't know the comics, you know, he's always so cocky, you know, like, oh, I can copy whatever you do and, you know, stuff like that. But <laughs> I, I just think it would be, you know, just kind of a fun villain, you know, at some point to see. Well, with Marvel using Spider-Man in their movies now, does that mean they, hey, they can use his villains too? I believe so. Yeah, I believe all the rights, uh, or at least, you know, the, the shared rights, however, they worked it out with Sony. I believe, yeah, Marvel has control over any of those Spider-Man characters. I just wonder, because in the story, it's mostly Spider-Man villains that that make up this group. You have Venom, Doc Ock, and it's led by Osborn. And I suppose, I I wonder if that means we could eventually see Venom in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I really hope not. Although I have heard that there's rumors, I don't know how they know this already, but there's rumors that there could be a Venom storyline in a Spider-Man sequel, in a Spider-Man standalone movie. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I just, I hope they go back to Eddie Brock and they redo that and they do it right. Yeah. I, I don't want to see the, the, as we talked about in our Maximum Carnage episode, there's been so many changes to the Venom character over the years that uh, it could get a little murky where all of a sudden it's Flash Thompson meeting up with the Guardians of the Galaxy and you have to really go back into the backstory to explain how they got to the, that point, you know? Yeah. So we next go to issue number five, and in this issue we see Sue and Johnny get confronted by S.H.I.E.L.D. forces called Cape Killers. And also Spider-Man fights Iron Man, taking issue with his plan to create a prison in the negative zone for rogue heroes. So this is also an interesting part of the plan that that, uh, we, we see a lot more as we go along. Iron Man tries to justify his plan as a compromise to prevent heroes from being outlawed altogether. Now the cape killers, they intervene, but Spider-Man gets away, and despite Tony's objection, Maria Hill sends some of these Thunderbolts to track Spider-Man down. Yeah, and and she specifically tells them to use minimum force. Now, let's just talk very briefly about Maria Hill, because we don't see her in the trailers, 
Uh, when we left the, uh, the storyline in the cinematic universe from Winter Soldier, Maria was kind of like in the underground there with, with Captain America and Nick Fury and all of them. Uh, she was very much a part of the Avengers and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything. Uh, here we see she's very much a part of the, the Iron Man side of the pro-registration and uh, kind of making snap judgments against the heroes here. So uh, do you think we'll see Colby Smulders' character act in such a way in, in our next movie? Um, I don't know. Maybe. Be interesting to see what they do with this character. It is interesting because you know Nick Fury, it, Sam Jackson's character has been such a face of this whole this whole movie movement, and you wonder if Maria Hill is going to be more of a focus than he, than he is at this point. Hmm. In the comics, Nick Fury is is you know in hiding, which is why Maria Hill is front and center. Yeah, she's the director of Shield at this point. So we next cut to Spider Man. And he's found and attacked in the sewers by Jack-O-Lantern and the Jester. And they really lay a beating down on him. They, they're loving the idea that now they get to fight Spider-Man and, you know, legally really, really do some damage. Yeah, and you would think that Spider-Man would be able to handle them, maybe. But uh, he had just left a conflict with Tony Stark and is just trying to make his way away from that. And he just gets jumped in the sewers. But of course, there's some help on the way as they're shot and killed by the Punisher making his grand entrance into the storyline. <laughs> now, the Punisher brings the badly beaten Spider-Man to Captain America's safe house where the anti-registration heroes were meeting. Because of Punisher's disgust with the government for using villains, he said he's on the anti-registration side, although not everybody is sure if he should be welcomed. He's a, kind of a loose cannon. You don't really necessarily want him hanging around. Well, he's, he's definitely not as unhinged as, you know, Big Shot. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Check out our our episode where we review the Tick for uh, more on Big Shot. <laughs> the uh, the Punisher perspective Civil War graphic novel. At one point, he he sees this this bar where a lot of villains are are spending time together, and he goes there and blows up the entire thing with them in it. And <laughs> Cap hears about this through the grapevine. I think right before, or a little before, he just enters into the safe house holding an injured Spider-Man. Okay, yeah, so that, that would kind of make sense when, you know, Cap kind of flips out on him and is just pummeling him. <laughs> yeah. Now, at this point, when the heroes are kind of talking, we see a, a character named Tigra, and she's secretly calling Tony Stark on her phone. So we next see Tony, Reed, She-Hulk, and the Cape Killers. They're taking Daredevil into custody, and bringing him to the Negative Zone prison. At this point, Reed's talking with She-Hulk, and, and he's saying that he wishes he would never got involved in this uh, to begin with. Their feelings are very complex. There's a, a lot of gray area in this story. Now, Tony tells Daredevil his next plan for superheroes, and this is what you were talking about earlier, Kevin, this, this 50-state initiative. And he plans to have 50 super teams in 50 states, and they're forming some sort of nationwide federal super force. And he even offers Daredevil a role on one of these teams. Yeah, at this point, you know, we find that uh, Daredevil has actually snuck a uh, silver dollar under his tongue uh, when he was captured. Uh, that He said he was saving for Tony. And he's just kind of like, well, okay, what's this about? And he, you know, basically tells him, sleep well, Judas, you know, yeah. just kind of calling him out. Like, yeah, you now oh, have man. 31 pieces of silver. Yeah. And, you know, the Marvel's done such a good job with these characters that, like, I could actually, like, 
picture the actor from the Netflix series, you know, kind of giving that line, you know, mm. just, you know, they've done an amazing job with it. So that is my favorite part of the story. It just shows to me this, the complexity of, you know, these interpersonal relationships they have with each other and they have two very distinct points of view here and, and, and the heroes are completely divided. And it's right after that, that Tony Stark aggressively is questioning his whole motive and his mindset and there's this scene that is in, I believe, the Fantastic Four perspective Civil War storyline where, um, where Sue Storm goes to visit Tony to try to talk him out of everything. And she sees him, and he, she's invisible, and she sees him struggling through, thinking through things, and he actually pours himself a drink and is just staring at the glass. And at this point, he had given up alcohol, and she kind of is thinking to herself, if I let him take this drink, the whole war could be over. And should I let him take this drink? And she's now on the other side, but she appears to him and, and, and talks him off the ledge and says, you know, don't take the drink, it's not worth it. And she leaves without, without what she was originally going to talk to him about, which is, Tony, please change your mind. And just shows how, even through this conflict, she still cared more for him as a person. And I think we catch a little bit of that in one of the trailers when um, there's that line, are we still friends? And it's like, depends on how hard you hit me. Mm. Um, and I think they're going to, I hope that they show that a little bit more in the movie. Yeah, that's been, uh, well, not to, not to, to harp on uh, Batman versus Superman, but that's been one of the biggest criticisms is that you, you see these two sides fighting and you don't see any glimpse of a friendship forming or existing at, at any point. These look like two strangers just fighting, but the, the Civil War trailer, you know, you, you definitely see that they care for each other, even though they're, you know, brutally <laughs> beating each other up. You know, there's uh, the... Uh, the personal relationships are very much uh, prominent in this movie, and I think that's going to make for uh, a great story. So, so what do you guys think about this fifty-state initiative? Uh, well, I do know. Uh, you know, I was just curious. Uh, I looked up uh, on the uh, the wiki page just to see some of the various teams that they had for each state, and there was no team for Massachusetts listed. <laughs> My problem is, you know, if you spread them out 50, 50 states, 50 super teams, I mean, imagine the Alaska super team, you know, all that, that space to cover. Meanwhile, Massachusetts and Rhode Island are, are supposed to have their own. Maryland and, and Delaware are supposed to have their own. We're going to have a lot of these super teams all clustered together on the eastern seaboard. And out west, there's going to be a lot of teams that, that'll probably need a, a couple of extra in their states. Yeah, so when we get into uh, the sixth issue... Uh, they make mention of a Mormon hero team that they send to Utah. So I was just kind of curious to see who, who it was, who was in it and all that. Uh, apparently it was a group called the called, which is an unknown group of heroes belonging to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I, you know, I was kind of hoping <laughs> there would be a little more information on it rather than mm. just, you know, oh, it's just this group. <laughs> <laughs> you know who I hope they were going to bring back for this was the, uh, the great lakes Avengers, John Burns, creation of uh big bertha dinosaur flat man and there's there's some others it's just a <laughs> really silly super group that uh he wrote into one of the west coast avengers issues uh, very very funny <laughs> now kevin i'm not as into wrestling as it sounds like you are but wasn't there a great lakes nwo ah uh, good question i'm not sure i'm obviously joking there kevin <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
That would have been a great reference to that comic book, though. <laughs> so we next go to issue six, and we open with Maria Hill and Hank Pym in Arizona, and they're discussing the new initiative to train new versions of old Greek gods. The, uh, the Thor clone is also being reprogrammed, and the Punisher is sneaking around the Baxter building trying to gain intel on 42. Now, we, we cut to Atlantis, and we see that Sue Storm is pleading with Namor for his help. But uh, he mentions that human affairs mean as much to him as the tides mean to humans, and he's sensing that Captain America is using Sue to get to him, so he declines. But I, I think he underestimates how much the tides mean to us. Yeah. <laughs> if you've ever seen the tides in Nova Scotia, there's not anything you want to mess with. <laughs> At one point, uh, Namor says uh, that the assailant who uh, who killed Namorita has been dealt with privately. And um, Chet, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, um, and uh, that was like uh, what you were saying, like where Wolverine was actually the one hunting him down, right? Yeah, I mean, I think in the same way that Marvel tried to keep Thor and Hulk out of the Civil War fight, they tried to do the same thing with Wolverine. And throughout the entire story arc, he's on his own hunting down uh, those villains who were at Stamford, Connecticut. Meanwhile, the anti-registration heroes are being informed by Falcon that Tony Stark's plan includes the construction of portals to the Negative Zone prison and that there is to be 50 made. And that would be, you know, one for each state, one for each supergroup. But they only have two made so far. And the codes for them are at Rikers Island. Also here, we get the uh, the villains Plunderer and Goldbug getting murdered by the Punisher. <laughs> yeah, they, they bring him in and uh, just immediately the Punisher just kills him. <laughs> like, they're like, hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> Bang. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually see Black Panther and Storm are actually on uh, Captain America's side at this point after uh, Bill Foster's death. So we, we cut back to Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, we see Tony showing Mrs. Sharp the memorial gardens that he had created at the site of the incident. Now at Rikers Island, the anti-registration heroes, they cross through the portal and they encounter Iron Man and the pro-registration heroes. And Iron Man reveals that he had a mole spying on Cap and his secret Avengers the whole time. And Captain America counters by saying that they knew about Tiger the whole time. And at this point, Ant-Man shapeshifts and becomes Hulkling. We realized that was him all along. I think they even drugged and replaced Hank Pym. Yep. Which, side note, was not even the real Hank Pym. He had been kidnapped by the Skrull and was being impersonated. So they, <laughs> they drugged the Skrull Ant-Man and replaced him with Hulkling Ant-Man. A shapeshifter shapeshifted to be a shapeshifter. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Marvel. Uh, so, this issue ends with the two sides about to fight. This is actually when Maria Hill uh, preemptively just locks them all in there together. As if she can just handle the whole thing by just pressing one button and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> so now we go to the final issue of the miniseries, issue number seven. So we open with the two sides led by Iron Man and Captain America fighting in the negative zone. Now, S.H.I.E.L.D. had sealed them in there. But Cloak is able to teleport them all out and back to New York, right at the exterior of the Baxter building, and the battle continues on the streets of New York. <laughs> After everybody falls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, at one point, the Thunderbolts gang up on Captain America, and we see that he's defended by Namor and his Atlanteans. So he, he did end up coming to his aid. 
They are then confronted by the Thor clone and others as Iron Man and Captain America fight. So now Hercules is able to grab the Thor clone's hammer and uses it to destroy him. And at one point, uh, Taskmaster shoots at uh, Sue Storm and uh, Reed actually dives in front and uh, saves her. Yeah. (laughs) At which point, Sue turns around and just annihilates Taskmaster. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, there is so much going on here at this point because when Hulkling reveals himself to have been the fake Ant-Man, I guess, uh, Iron Man realizes that now they're in trouble because the whole, all of the locks were voice activated by Hank Pym. So Hulkling was able to release everyone who had been captured in the negative zone. So now they're in the fight too. Hmm. And then Namor, who had previously kind of stayed out of everything, shows up. And it's just, everything is just blowing up left and right. And New York City is being decimated. So Captain America is able to crack into Iron Man's helmet just as he is taken down by, I guess, are, there, are they first responders or rescue workers? Yeah. And Captain America now realizes what this fighting is doing to the people of the city, and he surrenders. He makes a point of, you know, telling everybody to stand down and, you know, that, you know, they're not arresting Captain America, they're arresting Steve Rogers. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically saying that they're not fighting for the people, they're fighting amongst themselves at this point. We kind of wind down the series here, We, we see... The, uh, the government is going forward with Tony Stark's plan for 50 super teams and the negative zone prisons, with most people pretty much in favor. And we most also people. see uh, the Punisher, as they're taking Captain America away, uh, the Punisher actually reaches down and picks up Captain America's mask. Mm. So, I, I don't know, Chet, do you know if they anything becomes of that after that? or? Well, there's a whole lot going on with Captain America before, during, and after he actually does get assassinated at the end of all of this by crossbones. And so there's right. a few different people who try to take up the shield. Yeah. I, I just wasn't sure if like, uh, there was anything, you know, like specific with like the Punisher or something like that, or like he, <laughs> he decides with he's going to be Captain America. <laughs> well, with the, with the Punisher, I'm not so sure, but this is, this is when uh, winter soldier becomes a character in the first place. Right. So at this point, we also see, you know, Reed Richards writing a letter to Sue where he apologizes for, you know, his sloppy handwriting, but it's it's just too hard for him to slow his brain down to, you know, the speed of his handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it gets very scientific, like down to like, oh, I, I saw you helping, you know, clean stuff up, but I didn't want to talk because our, our adrenal glands might impair our judgment and... Yeah, when I got home, I, I cried for a full 93 minutes. <laughs> I was just like, man, <laughs> this guy is like so smart that he's like just completely, I don't know, like <laughs> almost not human, you know, yeah. like obviously like has emotions and things like that, but just, you know, the way he puts his thoughts together, it's just clinical very, observations. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like very computer like. Yeah. Yeah. We also see that the president is appointing Tony Stark as the new S.H.I.E.L.D. director, with Maria Hill being demoted just to deputy director. Now, in our final scene, Tony meets with Mrs. Sharp once again, and in their conversation, he finally reveals to us the mystery of why his secret facility plans are labeled 42. (laughs) Yeah, it was just their 42nd idea. (laughs) Yeah, 42nd out of 100, he said, that he came up with. Yep. 
So, uh, what did you guys think about this reveal? I, I was a little disappointed. Yeah, yeah, I was too. It was just kind of like, oh, that's it? Oh, all right. <laughs> I know there were delays. Do you think Mark Millar was just like, um, let's just make it something funny, Tony says, and we'll just be gone with it? Maybe, yeah. it's almost yeah. like they had these, these concepts written on a whiteboard, and like, oh, man, we need to get back to 42. What are we going to do here? Yeah. Uh, let's just make it the 42nd idea. <laughs> <laughs> Like their forty-second idea for an ending. Absolutely, this thing got out of control quickly. Yeah, as evidenced by all of the the crossovers and everything that they went, you know, had to wrap it up with, and like you're saying, the whole reset on Peter Parker's character is is pretty outlandish, even by comic book standards. Depending on how you look at it, there's anywhere from twenty to thirty other offshoots of this. And so, how how much do you think you've read of it, Chet? Oh man, a hundred percent. So, so what's notable uh, going forward? I remember the the Captain America getting killed. That was in every major newspaper. That was yeah. a very big deal. Yeah, I mean, going forward, that has to be the main thing. You know, here is the face of one of the sides of the conflict, and he turns himself in as Steve Rogers. And um, there's this national moment where all the newspapers, all the you know, every eyes are turned to this trial that he's about to go on. And as he's walking up the steps, he he gets shot. Yeah, striking image. I remember the uh, a lot of newspapers had the the exact panel printed as well. It's like I hadn't seen something like that since I, I think the death of Superman being covered right, in the news. Right. That's how big this was. Yeah, and of course, you know, Marvel finds ways to bring him back to life. And <laughs> um, but I think the most interesting thing that came from this was the character of, of Winter Soldier, Ed Brubaker, who was writing for DC before this. He um, he created Winter Soldier by repurposing Bucky, and to this point had not been a character yet. And uh, it's Winter Soldier who takes up the shield and kind of legitimizes him as a character in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, great character, and, and just uh, I love the, the cinematic adaptation of that story, and just really great, great movie. Probably one of the best Marvel movies, in my opinion. But one of the best standalone comics that came out after was just called Confession, and it was... Uh, starts out with Tony Stark just talking to someone you don't know who it is and it's after Civil War ends and he's just kind of going through his thoughts and emotions and trying to justify everything and you can tell he's really grasping for justification and at the end it turns out he's talking to the dead Captain America oh wow and I wonder if they would like open the movie that way and then close the movie in the same way like when uh, after Iron Man 3 he's talking to Bruce Banner yeah, that would certainly be a, an interesting twist and a nice callback to the comics. Most of it is, is not really worth it, but some of it is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a Punisher one, there's a Black Panther one, Wolverine, you see what he's been doing the whole time. I think my favorite part is there's specific scenes in the 1 through 7 of Civil War that you see from four or five different perspectives, and you, you just kind of see how um, that scene really developed from each of these characters' points of view. I mean, like when Sue leaves Reed Richards, you see that from both of their perspectives, and then Iron Man and Peter Parker, who walk in the room right after that. Hmm. And they just happen to notice that Reed Richards look a little sad. But, you know, as a reader, we know why. Yeah. That's interesting how they kind of flush out the story from those seven issues that much. So that wraps it up for the the comic storyline, but now the movie Captain America Civil War, which comes out May 6th, 
Uh, for it, we have two major trailers. There's there's trailer number one, there's trailer number two. They're probably more commonly known as, hey, there's Black Panther, and hey, there's Spider-Man. <laughs> All right, so, so let's start with trailer one. And we should note that this is the third Captain America movie, technically. Uh, some have said it's almost like Avengers 2.5. This really uh, is a continuation of uh, a lot of the stories that have been going on, but primarily Captain America, so we could see why it's called that. It's also directed by the same uh, directors from the, the previous movie, The Winter Soldier, that'd be the, the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe Russo, who just did such a terrific job. They were a shoe-in to continue the franchise. Yeah, I'm definitely, you know, glad that they're the ones behind it, you know. Yeah, and I'm not the biggest Captain America fan, but I just love cinematically what they've done with his character. So great. So we start with Captain America and Falcon. They're talking to Bucky in a dark building. And Captain America is asking if he remembers him. And Bucky kind of comes through remembering, yeah, your mom's name is Sarah. You used to wear newspaper in your shoes. And we see Captain America say to him that you're a wanted man. With Bucky replying, I don't do that anymore. Captain America said, well, the, the people that think you did are coming right now. And we see armed men coming up the stairs. And Captain America continues, and they're not planning on taking you alive. Yeah, so I think it kind of infers that, you know, obviously he's assassinated somebody at this point, you know, where they're talking about, you know, that thing you did. Yeah, you almost wonder if this is the theme that the New Warriors and everything that happened at Stamford, we see this in, um, in the movie and through Winter Soldier where either he was framed for something or something happened and they thought it was him or he actually did do something, but it sort of uh, got the ball rolling in light of all the things that have led up to this. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see at what point of the movie this, this scene is at. So we see there's, there's gunshots and there's fighting and Bucky jumps right off the roof of the building. And we next see William Hurt playing uh, Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, which I believe this is the first time we've seen him since the Incredible Hulk movie. I think so, yeah. A nice little, nice little tie-in, bringing back the Ed Norton movie. Yeah. Without it, just bringing back Ed Norton. <laughs> he's kind of a <laughs> forgotten person. Yeah, you wonder if he's regretting just being out of these movies at this point. Yeah. What was the story behind that? He wanted too much creative control for what the studio was willing to give him or something? Yeah, I mean, I know that he's got a, a reputation in Hollywood of just being really difficult to work with, and they parted ways, and... Honestly, I, I like Mark Ruffalo better anyway. Yeah, but that movie wasn't too bad. I mean, we've seen worse adaptations of The Hulk over the years, I think. I do like it, and I, I think it even having Ross as a character in this movie just shows how intentional they've been about building up to this larger storyline all along. Mm. So here Ross is talking to Cap, Black Widow, Falcon in a boardroom, and he mentions that while a great many people see you as a hero... There's some who prefer the word vigilante. And of course we see Bucky on the run as he's saying this. He says, you've operated with unlimited power and no supervision. And that's something the world can no longer tolerate. And during, you know, during these words, we see a copy of the Sokovia Accords being passed across a table. So this is obviously tying back to the Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. So uh, I, you wonder, is this going to replace the uh, Superhero Registration Act in this film? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in terms of the title of, of the act, you know, maybe giving something with a name that the audience can recognize, but playing obviously the same role as the Superhuman Registration Act. 
Yeah, it's it's got to have the same effect on these heroes as we'll as we'll get into. You wonder if they emphasize as much them needing to reveal their identities, since that was such a strong point in the storyline. I don't know if that's going to be emphasized as much here. And it was, you know, culminated in Peter Parker taking the mask off in front of the cameras, which I think we already agreed probably won't happen in this movie. Yeah. Now we we see Captain America kind of going away on his motorcycle. Black Widow's talking to him on the phone saying, I know how much Bucky means to you. Stay out of this one, please. You'll only make this worse. Captain America replies, you saying you'll arrest me? And there's soldiers with guns surrounding Captain America in a parking garage. We see Ross saying that there will be consequences, and this is where we see Iron Man enter this parking garage. We get a little dialogue between these two characters where Iron Man says, Captain, you seem a little defensive. And Captain America replies, well, it's been a long day. <laughs> you know, these two are very familiar with one another. You know, they've, uh, they've certainly been through a lot already. And uh, you can see they're not just uh, complete adversaries at this point. That and in each of the Avengers movies so far, there's been scenes where there's tension between the two characters. And even before Civil War was announced, it seemed like that was even hinted at. Yeah. So we also see in this trailer here, Captain America and Falcon, they're in civilian clothes and they're being surrounded by these armed men as their suits and weapons are being taken away. Most notably, you, you prominently see Captain America's shield as one of the items that they're, they're hauling off. Once again, they're looking to arrest Captain America. He's uh, continuing to be on the run. And it looks like they, uh, they get some sort of minor victory here. We next see a scene where Iron Man says, if we can't accept limitations, we're no better than the bad guys. Cap replies, that's not the way I see it. And there's a scene where Bucky picks up a weapon, Cap pats him on the shoulder. So we, we see they are working together, and Bucky might have regained most of his original self at this point. Yeah, I, I do like how, of the two trailers, this one kind of shows a lot more of you know the Bucky angle and kind of the the build-up to, to what's happening. Yeah. I'm very excited to see how he plays into this whole story just because he, you know, he was a side character that was happening sort of behind the scenes in the, in the comics. And he's such a, a really deep character and has so much to him that I'm excited to see how he plays into this. Yeah, it's a, it's a great arc. I'd love to see where it's going to. And now we get the line which appears, I believe, in all the trailers where Iron Man says, sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. I texted Kevin that today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a backhanded compliment, though. Yeah, it's like when one girl says to another girl, I love how you can just look good in, you know, anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, next cuts to saying this may, and we see Falcon jumping off of the building and gliding. And uh, what do you guys think of the, the new look to the, to the wings, the red and white wings? I like them. Nice callback to uh, his original costume, the red and white. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's subtle enough where it's not, you know, bright and in your face, but I think it is it is a cool sort of uh, reference to his comic book self. Yeah. Really, everything's so really nicely done. And I love the Falcon character in these movies, too. So Captain America says, uh, you know, I just want to make sure we consider all our options, and we see Captain America being shot at from a military helicopter. Falcon also says, these people that shoot at you usually wind up shooting at me too. And we see Falcon fighting armed men. And Falcon's fighting in here is amazingly done. Yeah, the scene where he kind of does that, like, he jumps and kind of, like, spins around is really cool looking. The The CGI on the wings are great. Just yep. uh, great fight choreography from what I'm seeing so far. 
I wonder if we'll see him take on Ant-Man again. Hmm. Well, I'm not, I don't know, because if you've seen Ant-Man, um, wait, was it Ant-Man? Yeah, like the end credit scene, you know, he he's talking and he says, like, oh, I know a guy, and I, I think they're referring to Ant-Man at that point. That is true. That is true. You're right about that. So we next cut to Black Widow saying, you know what's about to happen. Do you really want to punch your way out of this? And, of course, we get more action. There's a lot of quick action. You know, I was thinking of, like, trying to write all this stuff down, but it's just too quick to mention. But uh, Falcon says, what do we do? And Captain America replies, we fight. So now we, we see that scene. It's uh, it's prominent in both trailers where the two teams of, uh, or the two sides of the superhero teams are now running towards each other, kind of like in this open area. It's almost like a, uh, like an air airport. Air, <laughs> yeah. Like a, ha- like just outside, like the terminal. Yeah. That's what it almost looks like. Uh, and of course we see Falcon, Hawkeye, Captain America, Scarlet Witch and Bucky and they're, they're running and we, we get glimpses of Black Panther here. I'm, this was a, a very big deal when this trailer first came out. Yeah. I'm glad that they're not unwilling to include this character despite not having an origin story for him yet. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool that they can take liberties to introduce him and then if they do an origin story with him afterwards, that would be interesting. But um, in the meantime, he's too cool of a character and, and too significant to this, this story in the comics to not have if you had that option. Now, we didn't see much of Black Panther through the seven-issue miniseries. Did he have a, a more prominent role uh, later on in any of the other issues you read? He did. There is a Black Panther perspective uh, where he's sort of just staying out of it and watching it from a distance, but his influence is felt. And the reason I say that is because uh, one of the things that led to Civil War is Tony Stark gets this secret meeting together. It's actually called the uh, the Illuminati. And uh, it's Doctor Strange, Namor, Tony Stark, Professor X, Black Bolt, and, uh, and Black Panther. And Black Panther basically says, this is a terrible idea that we're having this meeting. It's a terrible idea to do the 50-state initiative. We should not be disorganized. Um, we shouldn't take this responsibility upon ourselves. And that's when Tony shows the early draft of the Superhuman Registration Act, and Black Panther is entirely opposed to it. And I believe he's on the Iron Man side from what we see in the trailer. Yeah, when I first saw that, I well... I've kind of decided just to embrace it for what it is. And, I mean, even Hawkeye isn't even in Civil War in the comics, but Mm. obviously he's in the movie. Same with Scarlet Witch um, and Winter Soldier, like Lisa. So I think that a a lot of the themes are going to remain the same. Certain side characters that haven't been prominent yet, like Black Panther, um, they don't need to put him against Tony Stark uh, because they haven't shown us any of that. So just having him be with Tony Stark in order to introduce him as a character, that's, that's fine by me. It's just a one difference that you see in uh, the comics. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And I believe they're going to have a Black Panther standalone movie in a couple of years, right? Is that, that I believe that's yep. in the works? It is. Now, I know the Ultimate Avengers uh, had a storyline with the Chitauri in Wakanda, and that kind of brought him into the Avengers team. So I'm wondering if they're going to do some sort of subplot with the Chitari and Vibranium and all that stuff. Yeah, I thought one of the most interesting scenes of Avengers 2 was seeing the reactions of the citizens of Wakanda during the uh, Hulkbuster fight and just sort of the, the, the fear that was on their faces as Hulk and Iron Man were just, you know, destroying their city. Mm. 
and that seems to be what is going to draw Black Panther into the conflict in the first place. Now, in the trailer, we next see this scene, and this was a very important shot from what I've read, is that we see Captain America holding on to a helicopter with his right arm and a helipad with his left arm, and really keeping that helicopter from taking off. Really, uh, it was important for them to show how strong Steve Rogers could really be, and uh, we see uh, a good good idea of it right here. Yeah, I know, I, I thought that was really cool, but then I was just thinking, okay, what is your plan? <laughs> what happens next in your mind, Steve Rogers? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't... Was he trying to keep it from taking off or trying to keep it from, like, crashing or something? I thought he was preventing it from taking off, but eh, I'm not sure. I think it was the takeoff because he's holding on to the, uh, you know, the building. And then also it, it seems like it'd be, you know, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's about to crash. It looks like it's trying to get away from him. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, with, with the quick editing and stuff, I, I wasn't 100% sure on that one. Now we get a scene where Iron Man says, I'm sorry, you know I wouldn't do this if I had any other choice. And we see Iron Man in an empty field, kneeling next to a very damaged war machine. So, I mean, this could this be our Goliath-type moment in the story where, where one of the heroes dies? I think it could be. I think that's the suggestion in the trailer. I think that, you know, regardless of which side the hero is on, it doesn't make that much of a difference. The theme remains, which is that when one of them does fall, if indeed War Machine does die, that does change things for both sides. One of the things we didn't mention is that in the comics when Goliath dies, both sides have people who defect because it just messes with everyone and makes mm. everyone question what they're doing and, and why they're doing it. Right. They next show Bucky. We see, you know, like uh, him, his face. And Captain America says, but he's my friend. You know, he's referring to, to Bucky. And Iron Man replies, so was I. And so we next get Iron Man, and he's fighting Cap and Bucky at the same time. This is just an amazing scene. Yeah, that like when that trailer first came out and I saw that, I was like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. I think that Bucky as a character in this, it's almost like Steve Rogers feels like he has this, this responsibility to him. Um, just sort of as this like little brother thing. And I wonder if that's mirrored by Tony Stark to Spider-Man. And the only other note I have in this scene, there's, there's a great moment and, uh, you could see where Captain America in the middle of this three-way fight, Captain America throws his shield and it bounces off Iron Man and it bounces to Bucky. He catches it. And as they're still fighting, he tosses it over back to Captain America. It's just amazingly choreographed and plotted out. And the CGI is, is pretty seamless as well. I do love that. You know, I wonder if it's an homage to the fact that later in the comics, Bucky does take up the shield. Mm. Kind of wonder, like, with the cinematic universe, like, how it's going to shake down after, you know, after the Civil War. Like, if they are going to end it with, you know, Captain America, you know, Steve Rogers uh, allowing himself to be taken into custody. And then are they going to have, you know, either Bucky or, or Falcon become Captain America for a little bit and then flip it back to Steve Rogers when, you know, Infinity War hits. That yeah. is interesting, Kevin, because Crossbones is the one who actually pulls the trigger who kills Captain America, and he's cast for this movie. Yeah. Yeah, you knew when he, when he supposedly got killed in the last movie, but then you see him kind of being carted away, you knew Crossbones was coming up next. So our trailer ends with Captain America Civil War, May 6th, 2016. 
So let's take a look at trailer number two. And this, uh, this gives us a lot more, too, to talk about. This one starts uh, at a cold, icy landscape, and we see doors open at a secret facility. And Captain America says, this job, we try to save as many people as we can. And we next see Bucky. He's wearing some technology, some devices on his face and his chest, and he's being released from some sort of containment in this facility. So we see he's probably re mostly referring, when he's talking to saving people, he, he means more than just civilians, as we can tell. He continues that sometimes that doesn't mean everybody, but you don't give up. So, of course, a continuation of last movie where he's really going to try to get through to Bucky. Uh, there's some semblance of his original personality in there, and he's really trying to uh, break through. So we get the uh, the Marvel Studios logo, and then, so now, from there we get footage of the Avengers movie with the uh, Chitauri invasion of New York. We also get footage from the Winter Soldier, and footage from Age of Ultron. And as we're seeing these in succession, this, this footage of destruction, uh, we see Thaddeus Ross, Thunderbolt, saying, you know, New York, Washington, D.C., Sokovia. And as he's showing the destruction, Captain America says, okay, that's enough. Yeah, and you see Scarlet Witch just kind of, when they bring up Sokovia and show that, you know, she just kind of looks away. And that Captain America, you can tell, you know, he, the people on his team are important to him because, you know, he can sense that, you know, she's really upset. And he says, okay, that's enough. Yeah. Um, and I did notice when they show the scenes from the, the different uh, destruction, I guess, uh, they have notes on there as, as to the, uh, the casualty and the dollar amount of the damage that was done. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I wrote it down uh, just because, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> it might be interesting to no, people. No, let's hear so. it. Uh, so for New York, they had 74 casualties and $18.8 billion in damage. Uh, the fallout from the shield collapse in Winter Soldier was 23 casualties and $2.8 billion. And Sokovia was 177 casualties and $474 billion worth of damage. Wow. Which, honestly, the, the casualty numbers were a lot lower than I thought they would be. <laughs> yes. No kidding. Yeah, and I think that scene is important, especially with Scarlet Witch, because I think it shows that it's not just that there's been destruction on a wide scale, but that the heroes themselves have experienced loss. I mean, Quicksilver dies in uh, right. the second movie, Avengers 2. And, you know, in the comics, House of M, which is a whole other storyline, um, she is responsible for altering reality in such a way where one of the uh, things that results from that is that Hawkeye is killed. Hmm. And so this is something that, as the heroes are going into Civil War, they've seen the destruction, but they've also all experienced uh, people that they know and have worked alongside with that have, that have died through some of these events. So continuing in this scene in the boardroom, uh, Ross is saying to Captain America that people are afraid. And Iron Man says, that's why I'm here. And we get a scene of Iron Man flying out of a helicopter, and Stark continues in the boardroom saying, we need to be put in check. Whatever form that takes, I'm game. And now here in the trailer, we see this like, it's, it almost looks like some facility or something. It's this large black cylinder shaped building almost, and it's rising up from the ocean. I assume this is essentially their version of the, uh, their superhero supermax, you know, instead yeah. of using the, the uh, negative zone. I thought the same thing. Yeah, that's what I was wondering too, which would make sense. 
So, it, which also the the part where uh, Maria Hill kind of locks them all in there, and you know basically is like you know forget this, let's just wipe them all out or leave them for dead. Maybe in the movie, you know, towards the end, maybe she hits a self destruct button and just decides, you know, the heck with it. Hmm. Didn't didn't we in the Agents of Shield show also see a a Shield prison similar to this yeah, that got I destroyed? In season one, I think. Yeah. So there is, you know, precedent set here for these large prisons. And that one did, I believe, get destroyed. So, you know, maybe uh, they built bigger and better. Now we get more back and forth with Captain America and Tony Stark. Uh, He says, I'm sorry, Tony. If I see a situation pointing south, I can't ignore it. Sometimes I wish I could. And this is where you get the reply. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. Captain America says, I know we're not perfect, but the safest hands are still our own. Now, we get a great scene here, too, where we see Bucky trying to get away on motorcycle, and he's being pursued by the Black Panther, and he's being pursued on foot by the Black Panther. And he catches him. (laughs) Yeah. He's, like, running and jumping over cars. It's uh, pretty crazy. Now, we we also here get a scene where Tony Stark is fighting Bucky, and uh, Stark, he activates that Iron Man glove as the, uh, you know, the armor kind of forms around the hand as he's fighting, and he's able to hold the end of Bucky's gun, and Bucky fires the gun, which essentially would shoot him, I believe, right in the face. Yeah, I, I actually had heard, you know, people saying that, like, in that scene, if you kind of go almost frame by frame, Bucky's actually aiming to the side, like, he's not aiming at Tony. Okay. Um, and that Tony grabs the gun, and obviously he shoots anyway. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm... I'm not sure it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if he is actually going after Tony or if he's at, uh, trying to go for somebody else. And Tony's shocked. You know, he's got the shocked look on his face that he was yeah. actually going to fire. So uh, we also get some more quick action here. We see War Machine gets hit out of the air. That's that strike that led to what we saw before where he was, you know, damaged and Tony was on his knees next to him in that open field. Yeah, and they the the way they cut it together, they kind of make it seem like you know it's the Winter Soldier who who's shooting him because they you know show him with a sniper rifle yeah. right before that. But the hole that is in Rhodey's chest, it's you know it's a pretty <laughs> big hole, and and it looks like what hits him is almost like a I don't know like a energy beam or something. Yeah, you know as opposed to something that would come out of a you know a sniper rifle. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see who actually takes this shot. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely are setting it up to look like it's Bucky that does it, but uh, we haven't really seen anyone firing laser guns, you mm. know? So after uh, we see Iron Man once again kneeling there by his side, uh, we hear dialogue from him saying, I was wrong about you, the whole world was wrong about you. So we'll see exactly who he's referring to. Uh, also, uh, Black Widow tells Tony, I'm not the one that needs to watch their back. So we see a little dissension there within Iron Man's own team. And uh, Captain America says, this doesn't have to end in a fight today. And Tony strikes him and the Iron Man mask comes down. And Iron Man says, you just started a war. And what's what's interesting is at this point where you see, you know, them fighting together, there's, you know, a chamber in the background. And uh, if you pause it, you actually see somebody sitting in that containment unit. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, maybe it's Bucky. But then if you look closer, Bucky's actually in that fight with Captain America and and Iron Man. So it's somebody else that's in that containment unit. Hmm. I didn't notice that. 
Yeah, I, well, I paused it and was going like frame by frame on that to try and see if you could kind of get a glimpse of who was in the containment. And I was like, ah, it's probably just Bucky. Wait, no, he that's his arm right there. He's <laughs> he's behind Iron Man. So we get more quick action here. Uh, in this, we we see a good look at uh, Black Panther in his costume. I, I meant to ask you this too. What did you guys think of the Black Panther costume? I, I think it looks pretty good in the trailer. I know some of the initial shots that, you know, popped up online where they were showing him, I think like Entertainment Weekly or something like that, like all the like silver trim and stuff that was on it. I, I didn't care for it, but it looks it, in the actual like footage we see in the trailer. It looks like they've kind of toned that down a little bit. Yeah. And I, I think it looks pretty decent. So, yeah, I think that the way they're introducing this character is, is really, really well. It's, it's similar to how they introduced, I think Iron Man in the first place. I think before these movies came out, Iron Man would not be on your typical list of, of better-known superheroes to the general public. And I and when they introduced him, one of the cool things they've done with him is just keep giving him new suits along the way. And with Black Panther, same way. I don't I don't know that most people would realize him to be one of the you know the superheroes that could be even in this. Mm. And he's clearly you know right in the center of all of it. And he's going to be, you know, a big player. He's even going to have his own movie. And I wonder if that's sort of something they do, too, where they continue to give him new suits. But in the meantime, I think it looks, you know, looks great. Yeah, I, I like the highlights that they add to the suit. And it's not too distracting, you know? It's almost like a glossy black on flat black look to it. It's just a metallic Sharpie. Yeah, really. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we also get a scene here of Scarlet Witch attacking Vision, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and it, it's funny, like, with all the hype on, on this trailer, you know, with, you know, the Spider-Man reveal and, you know, e even Ant-Man popping up on the arrow, just like in the comics, you kind of forget, you know, that you see Scarlet Witch taking down Vision, which, you know, obviously, you know, she's really kind of focused her powers at this point, since Vision essentially was the one who took down Ultron. In the comics, they have a relationship, the two of them. They do, yeah. You know? Not here, though. <laughs> no. Not in this scene. Not yet. Not yet. People have met and started their relationships in weirder ways. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> uh, we also get a scene here where Ant-Man is flying off the end of one of Hawkeye's arrows, which is a nice nod to the comics. I was talking to uh, a guy that owns a, a local comic book shop, and uh, he was telling me that because of the trailer and you know because of the material that's come out in anticipation of this movie... People are, and I, I forget the exact issue, but people are actually calling him and asking for the specific issue of Avengers where Ant-Man is on the end of Hawkeye's arrow. Like, that old issue is now in demand, and it's not a key issue or anything. It's just that art, you know, is just uh, what people want now because of what they saw in this trailer. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, in the same way, there's iconic movie scenes that stick out to us. It's, it's kind of that way with comics, too. You know, they probably don't even want to read through the whole thing at all. They just want to find that one page and just, you know, that's enough for them. Yeah. Right after that scene, we also get a very quick look at Crossbones in his in his uniform. Well, what did you guys think about the look of Crossbones in this? Did you happen to see that? Yeah, no, I saw it. My first thought, really my only thought was that I wonder if now that means Cap is going to die. Yeah, very, very interesting because he, he is the one that kills him post-Civil War, right? That is correct. And I don't know if that's something they want to, you know, end this movie with and build suspense leading into what comes up next in the MCU. Uh, maybe they don't do any of that. 
but as soon as I saw him and, you know, they made a point to show him distinctly in the trailer, it made me think that maybe his presence in the movie is, is for that reason. Mm. Because this movie doesn't feature any villains. It doesn't need to. Yeah, yeah. I almost wondered, you know, when he popped up in the trailer, like whether he was going to be part of that initial whole mess of guys that Captain America rounds up right after, you know, the the, the split, if it was going to be that, or like you said, if it was going to be part of, you know, him assassinating Captain America. I know they've filmed, you know, some fight scenes between the two of them. So it, we'll see. It, maybe he's in the movie at the beginning and then also at the end as well. Who knows? Now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is also, you know, very much part of the shared universe. Uh, we saw what happened to Coulson and how he was killed in Avengers and how he was resurrected. There was that whole Tahiti subplot, and it ended up being uh, having a lot to do with Kree technology that S.H.I.E.L.D. used to resurrect people. So uh, we know that uh, I believe the Kree are involved with the Inhumans, which they are going to start to introduce fairly soon in the cinematic universe. So you wonder if there is a way that they could kill off Captain America and uh, leave us in suspense for a while and then have uh, him back for the next Avengers two-parter, the uh, the Infinity War part one and part two. Of course, uh, you know, it's hard to speculate well into uh, the next four years of movies, but yeah, uh, it'd, yeah. be, it'd be interesting. There's a lot that they can do, basically. There's a lot of options at this point. And there, there is some rumors. There was actually a couple of rumors about this movie. Uh, one fairly early was that Daredevil was going to be in it, that there was going to be an appearance of, of Charlie Cox's Daredevil. Um, you know. Yeah, because he he made some mention that in his contract, there's like a you know like a, a line in it that says if we want you for a movie, you got to do it. Yeah, and he was like, they didn't have to put it in there; I'd do it anyway. Or something like <laughs> yeah, that. really. <laughs> Which is interesting because he's not even a, a huge participant in the story of the comics, but his his parts that that are there are are really really awesome, <laughs> with the silver dollar underneath his tongue, and then um, his role in the fight at the end. That would be amazing if they incorporated him into it in some way. Yeah, how great would it be if they bring him to that prison? I mean, if that's his only role, I would probably stand up and applaud right in the theater. <laughs> that would be uh, amazing and unprecedented, really, for something like this. The TV yeah. tie-in. We saw Coulson. That's kind of like the reverse of it. But, uh, yeah, just uh, Marvel's doing some great things, so you can't rule any of that stuff out anymore. Yeah, there's one other uh, shot in this trailer where I think Bucky's fighting with uh, Black Panther and there's a helicopter kind of shooting at him. Mm -hmm. And Panther just kind of turns around and like looks at it like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, I thought, you know, okay, maybe are they showing that to kind of plant the seeds of, you know, Black Panther switching sides, you know, because wait a minute, you know, I'm supposed to be on the same team as those guys and now they're shooting at me, Mm. you know. Yeah, there's there's so much packed into this trailer. Yeah. So uh, going back to it, we we see Iron Man and and Captain America sharing some more dialogue here. Uh, In the midst of the fighting, Iron Man says, you know, stay down, final warning. Cap replies, I could do this all day, and they fight. I don't know if I'm bringing up something that's completely obvious, but when Captain America says, I can do this all day, I'm sure you guys thought of this, but it's, uh, it's the exact same thing he says before he has a super soldier serum. And he's getting beat up in the alleyway, and the guys are like, you don't know when to stop. And he's like, I, you know, I can do this all day. That's funny. I'm glad you brought that up, because I, I didn't catch that callback. That's great. It really shows you that they're really taking 
a lot of uh, care with the way that they treat these characters and the the screenplays for these movies. You know, they're not just, I mean, they are just churning them out and they are making a ton of money, but they know that the quality does matter and it matters to fans and that makes all the difference. And so now we get that scene again where the two sides are rushing against each other. Falcon, Ant-Man, Hawkeye, Captain America, Scarlet Witch, and Bucky. They're rushing towards on the other side, Iron Man, Black Widow, War Machine, Black Panther, and Vision. And so uh, they cut to the, the title, Captain America Civil War, but we're certainly not done because now we get Iron Man saying, all right, I've run out of patience and yells, under ruse. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the moment that had uh, a lot of people talking, even till now. Uh, we see a web come down, snatches Captain America's shield. Uh, we see a character, uh, not quite too clear, although we know who exactly who it is, Spider-Man, doing a flip. And he lands in a, you know, great superhero pose holding the shield and just casually says, hey, everyone. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love the the Ditko style outfit that they gave Spider-Man in this. It's just awesome. Mm. <laughs> and uh, you do see, like, as he's kind of, like, flipping over, you see that he actually has mechanical web shooters, um, which is nice. I'm glad they're, you know, going back to that, you know, for this, because it that was one thing like in the comics was, you know, all the times he'd like run out of like web fluid and stuff like that, which, you know, you don't really get when it's the organic web shooters. Absolutely. And I, I love how he kind of comes in during this really tense moment and just kind of whimsically says, you know, Hey guys. And that's, that's just, that's classic Peter Parker. Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't mean classic as in emo Tommy McGuire parties, <laughs> uh, Peter Parker. <laughs> I mean, what we believe to be Peter Parker. Yeah, and to your point about the the mechanical web shooters, I liked, you know, the original Sam Raimi concept of it where, you know, it was organic because he was, you know, bitten by the spider and it just was a part of him. And it was a little far-fetched to think that that Peter Parker would, you know, invent web fluid and invent web shooters. But this Peter Parker, you could see how maybe, well, we'll see exactly how he comes to join this group, but we could see there's probably a lot of technology at his disposal and it maybe is a little more plausible for him to have those mechanical web shooters in this version of him. So I'm pretty pleased with that. Did you guys also notice that when his eyes narrowed, that there is a, a mechanical sound to it? Yeah, I, di I didn't notice it at first. But yeah, after people were talking about it, I went back and, you know, watched it and just really cranked the volume on it. And, and yeah, you definitely do hear that. I wonder if that suit is going to be supplied to him by Tony Stark. And that would be the closest we get to the Iron Spider. I don't think that Peter Parker is uh, able to afford or, or put together anything that is as mechanically sounding as that. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> and I, I think it was I think it was Hamish that was telling me, uh, a frequent guest on the show, that uh, you know it's almost like an aperture, you know, that the uh, the eyes would open and close, and that'd be like kind of a, a nice way of uh, explaining mechanically how it moves, and that also helps Spider-Man emote as he's acting, you know. Right. Pretty nice, nicely done. And like you were saying, the look of the costume, I love the eyes. You know, the eyes are very important to the Spider-Man character. And every artist seemed to has, have their own little subtle nuances when it comes to drawing the eyes. And that's really that uh, that beautiful, that uh, Ditko classic look to him. And uh, just, I, I love that. Love the design there. Yeah. And so from there, the trailer finishes May 6th. So uh, not too much longer in the future from the time that we're recording this. So, uh, what are your thoughts on the whole Civil War? Everything we've talked about all together. What are your thoughts on all this stuff? 
I got to be honest, because when I first heard that they were making this movie, I was excited. But I almost was wishing that it would be the way that they concluded Phase 3, just because I know how big this storyline became. Even if you're just doing Civil War 1 through 7, I think that this could have been a two-parter. But when the second trailer hit, uh, even before they showed Spider-Man, just the feel that it had, the, um, the sort of the, just the sense I got from what they were trying to convey, um, it seemed to me that they're going to do it justice the best that they can. Granted, there are characters who are in the movie who weren't in the story or characters who were in the story that definitely aren't in the movie. But I think what I said from the beginning of this was that the themes are going to remain the same. You know, Goliath becomes potentially war machine in the sense of someone dying. Uh, Spider-Man still is the, uh, the audience's viewpoint in terms of the tension that exists. Um, they're still going to show the, the personal relationships between the characters on both sides. Um, I think the themes are what made Civil War a great story, a very successful story um, financially and how it was received by the fans. Um, and I think that those themes are going to be in this movie. And for that reason, I, I'm glad that they're doing it this way. And um, I, I do think it's like an Avengers 2.5. And I think that they are going to do it well. And what a great time to introduce new characters like Black Panther and, and Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree 100%. I can't wait to see this in the theaters. I mean, it's, it, you know, from from all the trailers and all the different footage here and there, and it just, it looks amazing, and I, I'm interested to see, like, how, like, Chet's talking about, you know, the, the different changes that they obviously have to make to this. I, I can't wait to kind of see how they do it. I just think it'll be really interesting, and I, I think it's going to be, think it's going to be a good movie. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I, I, I love the storyline in the comics, although I, I certainly didn't read as much of the uh, additional material as Chet, but uh, just uh, have been loving these movies so far, and so uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this movie very much. The only problem, or the only apprehension that I have is the introduction of a lot of characters in a movie, and historically in superhero movies, that hasn't been the best idea. We saw even Dark Knight Rises in that, that great trilogy that was probably the weakest movie of the bunch because they try to introduce too many characters too quickly. Uh, Spider-Man 3, you know, also because of studio interference, suffered uh, the, the same problem. Uh, in some of the uh, the later Batman movies uh, with uh, Val Kilmer and George Clooney, although they had a lot more issues than extra characters. <laughs> but uh, And I, I think Marvel has done such a great job of handling uh, their characters and their storylines that it's not that big of a worry. But, I mean, that would be the only issue I would have. But uh, going forward with this, I just, I love the fact that Spider-Man is finally back. We were anticipating this for, you know, well over a year now. And uh, finally, we're, we're so close to seeing it. So very, very excited to see uh, this movie and where the story goes from here as well. Do you have those fears going into Avengers 1 and Avengers 2 in terms of having that many characters in one movie? Well, I well, see, that's a little different because, you know, we got... F- very long introductions, you know, full movies leading up to it. So it's almost like part of the same film in a sense. It was all part of the same story. So it didn't bother me as much. The only issue there was, you know, is is if everyone was going to get good screen time, you know, and it seemed as though in the Avengers movies, everybody's 
covered. You know, they make sure that you, you get a good amount of everybody, everybody shares screen time. So it didn't bother me as much with that. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's not too big of an issue, I guess. Yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying. The only reason I ask is because I was thinking about this today as we're getting ready for this, and I realized that Avengers 2 introduced the twins. Well, we had already known that they were there, but really brought them into the story, as well as Vision. And uh, it didn't feel like it was too forced, um, at least in my opinion. And so that kind of made me feel better about this. Really, they're introducing just Black Panther and Spider-Man, I think. So that gives me hope that they'll be able to pull this off, too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Avengers 2 brought those characters in without uh, any real problems. So we'll see. We'll see. And, uh, you know, so far they haven't made any any big blunders. You know, not not too big anyway. I, uh, I, I actually own copies of the movies Trial of the Incredible Hulk and uh, Re- Incredible Hulk Returns. I was just talking about that with somebody at work. Uh, those were the Lou Ferrigno made-for-TV movies. Uh, one features the introduction of Daredevil as kind of a backdoor pilot. And the other features uh, Donald Blake uh, finding Thor's hammer and being able to summon him at will. And uh, when you see movies like that, it really makes you appreciate <laughs> the movies that we have now. <laughs> <laughs> but I do recommend you go back and find those just to see them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> beyond the main storyline some of it really is worth reading and it makes the main storyline even better i think most of it like i said is you know you can do away with you don't you don't really need to read uh civil war new avengers or like i said civil war howard the duck (laughs) but uh but some of it's great black panther punisher wolverine spider-man peter parker um the fantastic four Um, it's really especially that one shot about uh, Iron Man's confession to the dead Captain America about how none of it was worth it after at all. I really think it's worth reading. Yeah, that's uh, it's amazing how much more they added to that original storyline. And I, I didn't realize that a lot of that is looking at the same seven issues from different perspectives. So I like that uh, they really went back in there and delved very deep into what we already saw. Yeah, definitely. It just brings more to the uh, the, the storyline that you've probably already read. If you uh, are starting anywhere, you're probably starting with that. And then as you keep going, you're seeing just more details and, and really makes those scenes just have much sort of substance to them. Very cool. All right, well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, what side you're on, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, do you guys have anything you want to plug? Uh, you can pretty much find me on social media everywhere uh, as at, or well, on Twitter at One Wall Cinema. Um, pretty much One Wall Cinema everywhere else uh, as well. Um, I'm on YouTube. Uh, uh, my channel on there, my kids do uh, unboxing videos as well as um, I have some mystery science theater type uh, commentary tracks that we do as well. Probably just the uh, easiest way would just go to onewallcinema.com and there's links to all that stuff on there. And you can find me liking pictures of Kevin from August of 2009 at 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can find me at just that Chet Joe Bear on Twitter. It's C H E T J O B E R T. I'm also on www.facebook.com. 
huh. as Chet Bear. I'll have to check that set out. It's wild. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter as well. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I'm also on Vine. There I do flip page cartoons and humorous animations. My name there is MC and Friends as well. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. And I believe you can even tap to rate five stars right there on iTunes. If you don't feel like signing in, that's fine. Uh, For Android users, we are also available to stream in or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and coming soon to Google Play. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, go over these seven issues, these comic books, and all the supplemental material and the trailers for this upcoming movie and uh, it's really going to be fun to to check it out and hear your opinions afterwards yeah definitely yeah. thanks for having us yeah it was a blast well we have been chet kevin and scott and this has been hitting play thank you so much for listening i can do this all day kind of feel like i did <laughs> <laughs>